Today's episode of Onward to Victory is brought to you by WCScreens.com. As dependable as the old toss sweep and resolute as the blocking fullback, look into WCScreens.com. They're the gold standard of the screen printing and embroidery industry. Wholesale pricing, nationwide shipping? Look no further than my pal Tony and the rest of his crew at WCScreens.com. And on with the show. It's the name that now gives the Irish fan a shudder. Brian Kelly. For the coach who has won more games than anyone in school history than bolted lickety split for LSU, where he quickly adopted a southern accent, and then I guess we can call it dancing. Can we call it dancing? Okay, dance to Garth Brooks with his new QB prospect. Well, I think we know how we feel about him now. But what will his enduring legacy be? Let's take a critical look at the Kelly era, including also that shameful exit. Buckle up those chin straps, Irish fans. This is Onward to Victory. Hello and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. My name is Alex Painter and welcome to episode 55 of the show. And oh boy, it's going to be a gas. We are talking about the legacy of now former head coach Brian Kelly. But before we dive in, here's a nickel's worth of free advice, Irish fans. Check out the previous episode, number 54. It was the third installment of the Gridiron Groundbreakers of the Fighting Irish, and it was about the first black starting quarterback in Notre Dame history, the late Cliff Brown. I thought it was a fantastic story, and it shares a good bit of information about why this is so important to the story of the Irish football program, and really football in general. So don't forget to go check it out, even after you listen to this one. So a special thanks to the folks who keep the lights on around here, and that is what I like to call the Consensus All-Americans, those who donate monetarily to the show and keep the train on the tracks. These guys are true, blue and gold, through and through, and they are Mr. Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, Brad Glazier of Williamsburg, Indiana, and Weston Painter of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And as you probably picked up in the show intro, our 2021 season sponsor is WCScreens.com, the leader in the screen printing and embroidery industry. So if you or your business would like to sponsor the show or become a consensus All-American yourself, please visit paypal.me slash onward to victory for a one-time donation or patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast for ongoing support. But if you have any further questions about what all this means, don't hesitate to reach out to Onward to Victory Podcast at gmail.com. And I am happy to answer any questions, but please know that any and all support is graciously appreciated and accepted. So as a quick aside, while this is an episode I plan to do, and I even talked about doing it, this is still really not the episode that I planned to do. 
What do I mean by that? Well, I had begun writing this thing as a defense of Brian Kelly's legacy in South Bend in approximately mid-November or so. So long-time or diligent listeners of the show have probably picked up on the fact that I was a Brian Kelly backer. And was is definitely a very important, even critical word in that phrase. Was a Brian Kelly backer. But I was writing this episode and I wanted to be thoughtful about why I was. Again, was. I knew one thing, though. And that's that I was going to stump for our head coach, who over 12 seasons had won 113 games versus just 40 losses. Good for a 739 winning percentage, which of course is the best of any Irish head coach since Lou Holtz. His five bowl wins also equal Holtz. He has more double-digit winning seasons than any coach in Irish history. Famously, or perhaps now infamously, those 113 wins are more than any other coach in Irish football history. And man, I was going to convince everyone that despite coming up short in some big football games, Notre Dame, with its BCS National Championship appearance, two college football appearances, five bowl wins, etc., stood as one of the top three or four teams in the country since the Kelly era began in 2012. I had my sights set on convincing everybody, and I had designs on that. And I thought, after again writing most of this episode, that that was a case that was actually fairly easy to make. And with perhaps some of the strongest recruiting classes coming in, some young, talented dynamic coordinators, I was going to argue that Kelly was going to continue to win tons of football games and keep the program ascending in the coming years. Or, worst case scenario, I could at least convince people that the Kelly era has far exceeded the enjoyment of the Charlie Weiss or Ty Willingham tenures, but I knew and I convinced myself that I could probably talk at least a few of the national championship or bust folks down off that ledge. But for those of us who are fond of context clues, I bring up the fact that I started this episode in mid-November very intensely. Uh, on November 30th, 2021, the Band-Aid was ripped off. And by now, mid-December, perhaps the sting has wore off. The metaphorical Band-Aid, of course, represents the tenure of previous head coach Brian Kelly. News broke that he was being heavily pursued by LSU, who, metaphorically again, but also kind of literally, I suppose, backed up the Brinks truck to the Irish coach. And it was announced that he had, in fact, taken the job in a whirlwind just a few hours. And while he may not have departed at dusk that evening, he did quite literally fly the coop at dawn the next day. So alas, the episode that I had been working on about how we should consider Brian Kelly's legacy in South Bend was pretty much null and void at that point. And I guess this is the new one. Same topic, vastly different tone. I did think that it was important to wait a couple weeks after this news hit to do this, as I didn't want to do an episode that was too emotionally fueled and possibly even say something that I might regret or might prove inaccurate down the road. But let's get this thing going. So let's start with what Brian Kelly thinks about his legacy at Notre Dame. As you may imagine, he doesn't seem to, at least publicly anyway, care. In his formal introductory press conference at LSU, when he was asked about his Notre Dame legacy, he brushed off the question about his abrupt 
an unceremonious exit from South Bend when he said, quote, Legacies are not what I spend time thinking about. I came down here because I wanted to be with the best. Kelly continued, You're looked at in terms of championships here. And I want that. I want to be under the bright lights. I want to be on the Broadway stage. That's what my passion is. So yeah, that's part of the draw. There's no doubt about that. End quote. Well, I think you can poke holes in that pretty easily, coming from a school where, again, you're looked at in terms of championships there as well. If you're not thinking that's true, well, consider the statues that are rung around the stadium reserved only for those coaches who have won national championships at Notre Dame. And I'll admit to the fact that I found the Broadway metaphor very strange, but however, as I mentioned, you can poke holes in this sentiment pretty easily, and you actually can use Brian Kelly's own words. I think Brian Kelly is, in fact, a guy who thinks about his legacy, even on the record. Some of you might remember right before Notre Dame and Wisconsin squared off this season in September, he was asked the same question. But this time, obviously not from the view or the lens of abruptly leaving the school, but rather from passing the most famous head coach in program history, Knut Rockney, in wins. Kelly said, quote, The coach that won more games that hasn't won a national championship. That's where I'll sit. What I feel like we've done is played consistent football. We've brought Notre Dame back to its relevance of competing for championships, and each year, you raise the bar and you continue to build towards that goal of winning a national championship. I think we have steadily worked towards that consistency year in and year out. Other than that, everything's judged, and rightly so, on winning a national championship. And I have no problem with that. I knew that coming in. End quote. So again, he kind of contradicts himself when he talks about how he's judged at LSU versus how he was judged at South Bend the exact same way, the goal of winning a national championship. But he does, in that short quote, bring up national championship three times. So I think this is actually pretty simple. Brian Kelly is going to a place that he feels like he can A, win a national championship, and B, collect a hefty paycheck doing so. So to tackle point A, and again, this is all attached to the legacy piece. Only three active coaches, currently active, have more wins at the Division I level than Kelly in his 166. Other than Iowa lifer, it seems, Kirk Ferentz, the others are Mack Brown and Nick Saban, both of whom, of course, have won national championships. In fact, get a load of this. Kelly ranks 48th all-time with those 166 wins. So if you were to consider the 47 men in front of him on that list, 26 have won at least one national championship as head coach. 26. That's a bit over 55%. But keep in mind, too, that many of the coaches ahead of him on that list were longtime coaches at smaller or mid-major schools, so to speak, who really wouldn't have had a chance to win a national title. So that cuts into the list even more. And since I was digging into that list, again, kind of going individually to see who had won a national championship and who hadn't, I'll tell you this much. Brian Kelly does not want to be going down in the record books as having won all these games without a national title. 
names such as, how about Frank Beamer, Bo Schembechler, and Hayden Fry, who all won over 230 games, but you guessed it, no national championship. Also, if you were to count Kelly's time spent at the Division II level, he's won over 280 games. However, I will say at the Division II level with Grand Valley State, he actually won a couple national championships, but again, at the Division II level. But anyway, something that I did want to relay is don't listen to his Wikipedia page, by the way. They don't count the 2012 and 2013 wins at Notre Dame because the NCAA vacated them, which is still asinine and stupid. But the expectation is that if you win so many football games, a national championship should follow. Brian Kelly knows that. He moved to LSU because of his legacy. Now we can argue until the cows come home about which job is better in 2021, Notre Dame or LSU. But most assuredly, Kelly looked at it with a much more transactional lens. Notre Dame has claimed 11 national titles. LSU has claimed four national titles. But three of LSU titles have come this millennium. 2003, 2007, and 2019. Notre Dame has not won a national title since 1988. So you can take that in whatever direction you choose. Kelly is now 60 years old, and if he sees the end of his contract, he will be 70. Given his advanced age, he saw a window and clearly took it. He was concerned about his legacy. Don't let him fool you there, but... He actually may have been right when he wasn't considering it as Brian Kelly, Notre Dame head coach, but rather just Brian Kelly, college football head coach. We know this because Brian Kelly has burned more bridges than Sherman's march to the sea. Nobody faults a coach for finding a new job. Really, the coaching carousel is in full swing every offseason. Everybody knows this. It's the way he leaves his jobs that really pisses people off unscrupulously, even cowardly. In 2006, of course, he ditched Central Michigan three days after leading them to a MAC championship to head to the University of Cincinnati. The Central Michigan Bowl game was coached by an interim. Actually, if memory serves, Central Michigan's bowl game was coached by current Irish offensive line coach Jeff Quinn. But after leading UC in 2006, 2007, 2008, and 2009, very well, I might add, Kelly, after repeatedly insisting that he wasn't going anywhere and that he was going to stay at UC, accepted the job at Notre Dame on December 10th, 2009. This was, of course, despite UC's 12-0 record, number three ranking, and the team's birth in the 2010 Sugar Bowl. If anyone remembers, the UC faithful were pretty pissed off about their coach leaving them high and dry. Again, good reason. Even though they have experienced quite a bit of success since his departure, sometimes I still almost think that the 2021 game felt a bit like karma. But, and you know at this point I hate to agree with the man on much, but he was 100% correct when he said the following, and I'll reread it. Quote, what I feel like we've done is played consistent football. We've brought Notre Dame back to its relevance of competing for championships, and each year you raise the bar and you continue to build towards that goal of winning a national championship. 
I think we have steadily worked towards that consistency year in and year out. Other than that, everything's judged, and rightly so, on winning a national championship. And I have no problem with that. I knew that coming in, end quote. And you know, again, he is absolutely right. We are 22 seasons into the new millennium. The first 10 of those were spent with a combination of coaches, including Bob Davey, Tyrone Willingham, and Charlie Weiss. The past 12, of course, with Coach Kelly. So about a 55% to 45% split, 55% of the millennium spent with Brian Kelly and 45% spent with the other three coaches. So those first 10 seasons, 2000 through 2009, they yielded a 70 and 52 record. Good for a winning percentage of 57.4%. The list of teams who had a much better cumulative record during the first decade of the 2000s is fairly long and kind of embarrassing, actually. For a blue chip program, that's a very pedestrian mark. But really, perhaps it's because they weren't blue chip at all during this time. In fact, in the AP postseason poll, they finished outside the top 25 six times. Six. The other four times were a number 15 finish in 2000, number 17 in 2002 and 2006, and only in 2005 did they finish in the top 10 at number 9. Get a load of this. During two of the final three Charlie Wise years, they never even appeared in the AP Top 25 poll at any point during the season. That's brutal. But during the first 10 years of the millennium, they went 1-5 in bowl games. And they didn't even qualify for a bowl four times. If it feels like I'm laying it on kind of thick, I suppose it's because I am. But just don't stop me now. I'm trying to make a point. So the past 12 seasons, 2010 through 2021, saw that mark rise to 113 wins and 40 losses. Good for a winning percentage of 73.9%. A dramatic increase of 16.5% over the first decade. And man, if you take out that puzzling 4-8 campaign in 2016, Deshaun Kaiser's uh, third year, junior year if you will, and I loved Kaiser, that winning percentage in the other 11 seasons in the Kelly era spikes to 77.3. The teams qualified for a bowl every season except 2016, and they logged a 5-5 five and five record. Now I know, 500, 5-5, five five, isn't great. But of course it beats the 1-5 record of the first 10 seasons of the millennium quite handily. And as I mentioned earlier, one BCS title game appearance, two college football playoff appearances, the past 12 seasons include four seasons finishing in the top 10, and three more seasons they finished in the top 12. And then in 2013, they finished at number 20. So essentially it's this. Since 2015, they've only finished outside the top 12 one time. I suppose this is where I've officially tapped into the material I had prepared for my first iteration of this episode, again, the grand defense of Brian Kelly. But 
just because he kind of left like a scoundrel doesn't change the fact that he was exactly right about the level of play and expectations being raised considerably during his tenure. To be trite, or even perhaps a bit cliche, the proof is in the pudding. We looked at Notre Dame football since 2000, but when you really look at it, we haven't had a stretch of consistent top 10 or so teams like this since the late 80s and into the early 90s. So was Brian Kelly right about that? Hell yeah, he was. <laughs> when reflecting, I think I became a Kelly backer because I like beating USC, who Kelly beat 8 of 11 times. This was after losing to them eight seasons in a row before he arrived. I like winning football games on Saturday, which is, I guess, my fancy way of saying I don't like it when my Sunday is totally destroyed by the pissy mood I'm in when the Irish lose. My family can attest to this. Like it or not, unless he is playing Nick Saban, sometimes Dabo Sweeney, and a small handful of others, Brian Kelly's going to win the football game. But... I know what probably quite a number of you are thinking right now. Go on ahead. Insert the, but he didn't win the big one argument. And yeah, I know that. That's true. But it does not change the fact that the Irish are more consistently in the hunt for a playoff spot. Those top recruits, restored national relevance, etc. So really, where does this all leave us? Is it the scallywag who repeatedly hoses his former employers but wins football games at more than an acceptable rate? That's probably close. And in Notre Dame's case, winning more football games than anyone in school history. But, just mere days after the Brian Kelly departure, a wrinkle emerged that could affect his legacy as well was the hiring of defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman to be the next head coach. Just as a quick aside, Onward to Victory proudly shared some breaking live updates on that situation, thanks to an unimpeachable source. You know who you are. Thank you again, unimpeachable source. But there for a while, it looked like Kelly was not only heading to Baton Rouge himself, but he was going to take his coordinators, Freeman and Tommy Reese as well. That caused quite a bit of consternation for quite a few hours. But as everyone now knows, Freeman and Reese gave Kelly the proverbial middle finger and said, no, we are staying. But again, lest we forget here, it was Brian Kelly who whisked Freeman away from Cincinnati, away from other high-profile coordinator jobs, inevitably from head coach in waiting positions, including possibly one at LSU, ironic, to come to Notre Dame. And, not for nothing, Freeman's defense ranked 10th in the nation in points allowed this season. So now, he's our head coach. And perhaps, that's how Brian Kelly will be remembered. The opportunistic man who brought Notre Dame football back. Reminded the faithful that we are ND. Won a ton of football games. Only to abruptly leave in the dead of night with the program still in the midst of a playoff race in pretty spineless fashion. He was also the man who brought our new head coach to South Bend, a man he later found out he couldn't poach to his new staff. And we'll see how that story plays out ourselves when Marcus Freeman takes to the sidelines as the Notre Dame head football coach. I believe all these things can be true. And you know what? I believe all these things are true. 
and I'll be right back. All right, well, I think maybe that wasn't all the fire and brimstone that people were probably seeking in this episode, but I did want to give some what I thought was needed and critical nuance and perspective to this situation. Now, granted, hindsight is undefeated. It's 2020, and as I mentioned, it's undefeated, which is why I wanted to wait a couple weeks before doing this episode, or at least releasing this episode. That way I had a little bit more time to just really sit on everything that had happened with the program, and admittedly, and I think most Irish fans are probably in the same boat, where A, they're really excited about Marcus Freeman as the next head coach, and then B, that really did soften the blow a little bit to Brian Kelly leaving like that. And you know what else kind of helped soften the blow, and I alluded to it at the very beginning of the show, is that fake Southern accent and that really puzzling dancing video with his new quarterback. I'll never understand that. That's just, it just was very, very bizarre. And I think most of us who follow the program fairly closely were just <laughs> kind of surprised by that. And why? Well, I don't know. When I was thinking about it, and I was talking to one of my buddies about Coach Kelly leaving, it's really like I was surprised. I didn't think he had it in him to pull this off again. But I guess, you know, you pay him enough money, it really doesn't matter. But, you know, when he first got to Notre Dame, think about it, when he was 48 years old and he was just like, you know, that fiery, he was still like a fiery, really intense dad. Whereas the Brian Kelly we've seen the last couple of years, he's kind of settled more into that. He's still fiery, but he's become a much more reserved, almost grandpa-like figure. And so I guess that makes this really strange reinvention even more strange. But again, I think the new developments surrounding the program have really just, again, eased or softened the blow to what uh, Brian Kelly did. And not that I'm going to say he's going to be exonerated or forgiven, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. And frankly, I'm probably in that camp too. I'm like, it's you can't look past the way he left However, what you can do is give proper context to why Notre Dame is in the spot right now, today, that they're in. And that's a culture of winning much more consistently than they had the previous two decades, uh, two plus decades, really. And also they have a head coach who was whisked away from his previous job from the former coach himself. So again, I don't think Kelly's ever going to get off scot-free for how this all went down. And least of all, not for me. And again, I am one of his former backers. But I do think that context is important. And that's what I tried to provide here. Even though I apologize if it sounded at times like a Brian Kelly defense, I'll just cop to the fact that I really like winning football games. But if you disagree or think I am off base, or maybe if you agree and I guess think I'm on base, please let me know. Uh, head to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash onward to victory podcast. It's pretty easy to find. 
or drop me a line at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com. I'll read anything you send my way, but I am looking for perspective on this. Again, being someone who constantly seeks that kind of thing, I'm curious still what people think. Now that we've had some time to take more than a few deep breaths and kind of ponder the future and really the past and present of Notre Dame football. So don't hesitate to reach out to the show. I'd love to hear from you. So what's coming down the pike? Well, I'm happy to announce there's going to be some changes in 2022 coming. Exciting changes to Onward to Victory, not necessarily as a podcast, but as a Notre Dame information and media outlet. I'm going to keep it vague for now, but Right around signing day, National Signing Day, which is February 2nd, 2022, which will be here before we know it, uh, I'm going to introduce a new member of the team who is going to provide additional content for the brand, so to speak, probably written content, uh, insight on the Irish, probably on a more frequent basis. As most of you know, and a lot of you listen to the show for this very reason, I like to delve in on the past, really get into the research and all that. Um, this new member of the team is probably going to look more at the modern day, current editions of the Irish recruiting, all that kind of stuff, game previews, game recaps. So, so be on the lookout for more information as I am kind of trying to keep it a little bit vague, but in the coming months, it'll kind of start shaking loose. But on the podcast front, I have several episodes queued up, not written yet, but I know exactly where I'm going over the next couple months. And I've got some Really interesting episode topics lined up for us to discuss. It's going to be great. So always make sure that you're subscribed, whatever device you use or whatever way that you get your podcast, whether it's through Amazon or Apple or Spotify or CastBox, make sure that you're subscribed to the the show. That way you can be alerted to all the newest episodes and give a rating if you're feeling kind of generous. And also, I know some of you may know that I do a little bit of writing. Um, I've written a couple books, mostly about baseball, but my next effort is going to be about a subject in Notre Dame football history. And I'll just give you a little hint. It's someone who we've talked about on the show before. So that's kind of a hint. But I've got a project partner for this, and I've done just an incredible amount of research for it. And I'm really excited to share it out as I'm still writing it now, but I hope to have it finished in the next year in 2022. So excited about that as well. Well, I figure I should probably get close to signing off here, but I wanted to give a quick shout out of thanks once again to the Consensus All-Americans, Mr. Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, Brad Glazier of Williamsburg, Indiana, Weston Painter of Fort Wayne, Indiana, and thanks again to the 2021 season sponsor. That is, of course, WCScreens.com. Also, a special thank you to Joseph Rakish, whose song, Knut Rockney, serves very tidily as our theme song around here. So thank you again. You can find that jam on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, YouTube, pretty much however you digest music. You can find that and all of his other songs there as well. So after last episode about Clifton Brown stretched over 40 minutes, this one I guess is a little bit shorter, but I'm sure you don't mind. I'll make it up to you later, but I had better sign off. This has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go Irish. (laughs) 